Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 203, Gregory XII. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So, this is going to be a big episode in the history of the papacy. A lot of unique things happened during the pivotal 11 years of Gregory XII's time on the chair of Peter. And so I think it would be helpful for one of those brief recaps of the story so far. So 10 episodes ago, prompted by political pressure from the French king, the cardinals elected a French pope who decided not to return to Rome. He was elected in France and the Avignon papacy was born. The popes in Avignon were not always directly under the control of the French monarchs. Some indeed tried to return to Rome, and some were, were quite holy, but they could never quite do it. So when Gregory XI did return to Rome and then died in Rome, the Roman people, who had really been suffering because the papacy had been gone, demanded that the cardinals choose an Italian to be pope. And they did. They picked Urban VI. But Urban rubbed everyone the wrong way, and the French cardinals used the pressure of the Roman people as an excuse to claim that Urban was illegitimate. Now, this was directly contrary to what they themselves wrote during the conclave. They said, our uh, choice is totally free, but they did not like Urban, and so they used this as an excuse. They scooted out of Rome, and once back in French territory, they elected a French anti-pope who reigned in Avignon, and now the whole of Europe was divided between the French and Roman factions. It was a huge scandal for Christendom, and no one really knew who was the real pope. It just depended on where you lived was the pope that you accepted. Now, as the two popes died, the cardinals in Avignon and the cardinals in Rome elected successors. So now we're at the point where Benedict Thirteenth is the anti-pope in Avignon, and Innocent VII has just died in Rome. Fourteen Roman cardinals gathered in November of 1406 to elect a successor to Innocent, and like the last conclave, all of them pledged that they would resign the papacy if it meant an end to the schism and if Benedict XIII did the same thing. It was pretty much on the forefront of everyone's mind that this could not continue, this was not sustainable. And so the cardinals elected unanimously a Venetian cardinal named Angelo Correr, who took the name Gregory XII. Now, Angelo Correr was born in Venice around 1335 to a noble family. He studied theology at the University of Bologna, and he was chosen to be the Bishop of Castello in 1380. He, like many Roman bishops, benefited from the schism in that a lot of the northern Italian cardinals went over to the Avignon Antipope, leaving a lot of vacant titles to be filled by loyal Roman priests and bishops. And so he moved up the ranks quickly, becoming first the titular Latin Patriarch of Constantinople, the rector of the Marches of Ancona, which was kind of a civil government position in the Papal States, and a cardinal priest in June 1405. Now, as it was said earlier, it was clear that everyone wanted to end the Western Schism. It was an untenable situation that needed to be remedied, and it was at the forefront of the cardinals' minds when they elected Gregory. He himself sent a letter basically to everyone, including Benedict XIII over in Avignon, saying, let's get this done, let's end this, I'm willing to resign to make this happen. It wasn't a political trick or a gimmick, it was a real desire to, see, to heal Christendom and remove scandal. So the two sides negotiated and both seemed to agree that they would resign together. But as you might imagine, the negotiations hit some sticking points. Nevertheless, in 1406, the two sides agreed to meet in Savona in the fall of 1407 to try and work out an end to the schism. The snags came on both sides. Gregory had a hard time organizing the trip, bringing enough troops to escort him and finding enough ships to get him there. Savona was in territory belonging to the King of France, too, so it didn't really make it a very neutral site for negotiations. 
By the summer of 1407, the two sides had gotten closer together, but they weren't all the way together. Benedict was in Savona, and Gregory had made it as far as Lucca, but he was indecisive and he didn't get much closer. He wanted to renegotiate the meeting place so that it was more neutral, and he, he wouldn't bend on that point. Benedict used this as, to his advantage, saying, see, he doesn't want to solve the problem, but it wouldn't help his case either. The whole of Europe was just getting tired of the situation and angry at both, and the French court threatened Benedict that if by the Feast of the Ascension 1408 it wasn't resolved, they would try and intervene. Benedict left the area, and most of his cardinals then abandoned him. Gregory, meanwhile, decided to create four new cardinals for the Roman side, most of whom were his direct family members, which he had promised not to do because the cardinals said it would lead more conf to more confusion. And then that prompted most of his cardinals to leave him and move to Pisa. They were joined there by the cardinals who had abandoned Benedict from Avignon. So most of the prelates of the church, both on the antipope side and his cardinals, and on the Roman side and his cardinals, are now in Pisa, which is where things are going to get even more confusing. Now, it was pretty clear that the only solution to the schism was a church council. And part of the negotiations between Benedict and Gregory was the calling of a council to settle things. But now that those negotiations had broken off, everyone decided to call a council on their own terms. So Benedict called one in southern France, Gregory called one in northern Italy, and then the majority of the cardinals from both sides called a council in Pisa, which met in 1409. It became clear that Pisa was where the momentum was, and Benedict eventually suspended his council and sent delegates to Pisa himself. Now, the Council of Pisa, though large and representative, was aware of its questionable legitimacy. The Pope had to be the one to call or at least to ratify a council for it to be legitimate. And so some of the bishops there made the case that Gregory had to be the one to call the council, while others asserted that since neither side can figure out that this was their duty to call council and work, they decided, you know, let's just work it out despite them. Both Benedict and Gregory were denounced as being unwilling to work for the unity of the church, and in June of 1409, they were both declared deposed by the Council of Pisa. The cardinals in Pisa then gathered to elect a new pope and chose Cardinal Pietro Filaragris, who took the name Alexander V. Now, this is where things are getting even more confusing, because now we have three people claiming to be the legitimate pope, Gregory Twelfth, Benedict Thirteenth, and the new Pisan anti-pope, Alexander V. And until fairly recently, there was a case made in the church by some historians that Alexander was a legitimate pope, that Gregory's term ended at the Council of Pisa, and that Alexander V was not an anti-pope. But that was corrected later on, and we'll talk about that way down the road. Now we view Alexander as an anti-pope. The immediate result of this election was not a solution, but just more confusion. Benedict and Gregory kept some of their supporters, and now there was just another anti-pope in the mix. But gradually, the Pisan Pope got more and more supporters, most crucially from Gregory's native Venice, who began to turn against the first Venetian Pope and side with the Pisans. Then in 1410, Alexander V died and only after only a year as the Pisan anti-pope, and the cardinals of the Pisan side joined together and elected a new Pisan Pope who took the name John XXIII. John XXIII decided to move against Rome and with the support of Louis II of Anjou, entered the city in 1411. Gregory this was, meanwhile, in a sort of exile in the Italian town of Gaeta, and he was losing supporters every day. Now, in the meantime, there was a new king in Germany, Sigismund of Luxembourg, who had been king of Hungary and was elected a new Holy Roman Emperor and was determined to solve the problem of the three popes, and he did so with vigor and energy. He knew the only way forward was for all three of the contenders to resign and a new pope to be elected. That's the only real solution. And that this could only happen at an ecumenical council, a legitimate one. 
So he got to work. He negotiated with John XXIII to call a council in Constance, a town which is now on the southern border of Germany, in 1414. He likewise negotiated with the big supporter of Benedict XIII, the King of Spain, who was beginning to distance himself from the Avignon Pope. And then Gregory XII was basically forgotten and wasn't even seen by this point as a major player in the whole situation. Everyone had deserted him, all his political support was drying up, and he was stuck in this small little Italian town. By Christmas of 1414, the council was really underway in Constance. And the whole of the church and all of the factions were represented with 29 cardinals, three patriarchs, 33 archbishops, and 150 bishops in particular. It was clear that this council would get the job done. John XXIII noticed this and made it known that he was planning on leaving the council because it was questioning his legitimacy. Sigismund then locked the gates of Constance to prevent him from going. So John XXIII still refused to resign and suggested instead that the council be moved to southern France, where then he might think about resigning. You know, if you just move more to my place, then maybe I'll resign. But people saw through that and rejected that proposal. So that evening, he fled from the council, hooded and cloaked, so no one would recognize him. He called for his cardinals to follow him, but most refused and remained in Constance. The council knew it was on shaky ground since it didn't have now a pope to sponsor it, and declared that it was convoked by God himself, and then it declared John XXIII indicted for schism and deposed from the papacy. The antipope was eventually caught and put in prison and was forced to give up his papal insignia. In the next room to John XXIII was the heretic priest Jan Hus, who had come to the council thinking to influence the future of the church, whom he had railed against, and he had been put in prison himself, awaiting execution for heresy. Gregory, meanwhile, sent two cardinals as his own representatives. Arriving at the council on July 4, 1415, the cardinals first read a bull in which Gregory declared them his official representatives. Then in the name of the pope, they declared the council officially convened and legitimate. They then read a bull declaring the resignation of Gregory XII from the papacy and the unity of the various colleges of cardinals. Now, just a moment on that. Some of these cardinals that were gathered there had been appointed by antipopes, and so there was a question as to whether they were legitimate cardinals in the church, legitimate bishops, legitimately able to elect a new pope. And so Gregory XII magnanimously said, no, all the cardinals that are there are now legitimately cardinals. They're all declared to be legitimate cardinals. Now, in the meanwhile, Sixman had gone to Spain to negotiate the resignation of Benedict XIII. And when, while the antipope refused to resign, his main supporters in Spain agreed to back the council, taking away the antipope's last bastion of support. And so, officially, with Gregory XII's resignation, John XXIII in prison, and Benedict XIII basically with no support, the Great Western Schism was in effect, if not in name, over. Gregory XII was the last pope to resign until Pope Benedict XVI in 2012. And after his resignation, the council appointed him the Cardinal Bishop of Porto and gave him the assignment he used to have as rector of the Marches of Ancona. When he heard the news, the now Cardinal again, Angelo Correr, convened the papal court and appeared among them dressed in the Cardinal's red instead of the papal regalia. He served as a Cardinal from the time that time in 1415 until his death in October 18, 1417. He was buried in, at San Flavio in Recanati, where he had lived out his post-resignation years, and which makes him the last pope to be buried outside of Rome. And he was succeeded by the first uh, unanimous pope chosen at Constance, Martin V. Thank you for listening to Abemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com or find us our other podcasts or find us on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.